Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260, the first off-season edition. Gil Gross, Ian Unsworth with you until the top of the hour. I'm back from Indy, Ian. It was a it was a lovely place. Do you have any Do you have any questions? Do you want me to give you the uh, the lowdown there? What was it like being at a game with fans, Gil? Was the environment different? Did it was the tournament pressure high as it usually was, or did it did it have any sort of sense of like heightened importance? Were the fans like geeked? I would have been geeked. Oh man! I mean, first of all, yeah, like there is just still that strange lingering like why are there so many people in one place Uh, I think that still exists but once we got down to it and it was basketball with a crowd like Ian I forgot that Syracuse fans stand and clap until the first basket is made like (laughs) because why would I why would I remember that like Mm -hmm. why in the world would that be in my mind at any point but then it's it's game one, San Diego State at at Hinkle Fieldhouse, and it's like, oh yeah, this is a thing. This is what happens at the start of every Syracuse game. But like all in all, it makes it makes such a big difference, and uh, that was by far the best part of this March Madness was watching Joe Girard make a basket and then settle back in the two three zone, high five Buddy Beheim, and then pump up the crowd. Uh, because we hadn't seen that for for so long. Seemed like Joe kind of like fed off the fans because he he was the 100%. player that needed him the most. At least that's what I was getting from the TV broadcast every single night. Yeah, I, so I was not watching the TV broadcast, but yeah, that was the consensus. Like anyone you asked, including Joe, including Joe's father, would would tell you that Joe Girard benefited massively from that. But. It all came to a crashing conclusion in the Sweet 16. Syracuse lost to Houston. Uh, Obviously, all of our post-game coverage of that is on orangefizz.net, as well as this podcast feed where Matt Bonaparte and I had FizzCast. But but Ian, just real quick, because this is the first Fizz Radio post-Syracuse's season ending because it was on a Saturday night that Syracuse lost to Houston. Let's just quickly put a bow on this. Like, what was your big kind of conclusion from the eventual loss to the Cougars. It had to end at some point, but I was, it's tough to say, but if a Syracuse was going to lose to a team in the NCAA tournament, this would be the team, a team that just has the best defensive strategy, just the best effort level out of any, almost any team I've seen play in this tournament. And a team that's really made to contain Syracuse with three excellent defensive guards. That that's really what made the difference. Dejan Giroux was in Buddy Bayheim's grill up in his jersey all night. And that's really what made the difference. That those two air balls early on from Griffin and then from Bayheim, you just kind of knew off the bat Syracuse isn't getting any easy looks tonight. And that continued throughout. Yeah, they really did. The Houston defense set the tone of the game because it's not like Syracuse took a while to score. It took a while for Syracuse to hit the rim, uh, which is just really not uh, a good sign. I'm kind of with you. You know, you kind of say, well, it was a bad matchup. I would agree, but I would really like to put most of the shine on one player. 
and that is Dejan Giroux. He turned out to be the Buddy Beheim stopper, and this was a run for Syracuse where it seemed like there would be no such thing as a Buddy Beheim stopper. Then the conclusion on the Syracuse side for me was, well, that is what's going to happen when you are getting all of your offense from one place. And I know that Buddy wasn't the only guy to score, and that's not really what I'm saying here, but the offense was coming from a singular focus point, whether it was Robert Braswell getting an open three or Quincy Garrier against West Virginia finishing at the rim. The root of all of that was the attention that Buddy Beheim was bringing. And when that well dried up against Houston because Dejan Giroux was just that darn good at defending him, that was kind of lights out for Syracuse. So ultimately, you really you need more than one option. That was my, my main conclusion. We had this conversation all year. Who is the number two? Who's going to step up in a big game? And unfortunately, Alan Griffin played 13 minutes. That yeah. I always was going I was always reliant on Alan Griffin to do something big in a big time game. And whether it was because Bayheim lost confidence in him or he lost confidence in himself or he just decided to go out to lunch for you know conference tournament and NCAA tournament play, he just was not there when it mattered for Syracuse. And I mean, neither was Joe Girard, neither was Quincy Garrier, and that's ultimately why this team fell. Yeah, maybe we'll get into to Griffin and just next year in general, um, a little bit later on in the show. But I want to half correct you on this. I, I feel compelled because I don't think that we were asking ourselves the whole season who's the number two. I think for a lot of the season we were asking who's the number one. And for the first half, it looked like Quincy Garrier was the number one. And then it was back to, well, who's the number one? You know, which which is the guy that who's the guy that you can rely on? The the fact that it became Buddy and we started to talk about who's the number two because the number one was very clear. I think that's the main reason why Syracuse rattled off the wins that it did at the end of the season. Absolutely, I can't disagree with you, but at this point, it was always Bayheim taking that role of the number one scoring option. I mean, when you take 20-plus shots against Georgetown and only make eight of them, you're still the number one option. Like, Bayheim got his shots up. He just wasn't yeah. making them the whole year. So output-wise, maybe not always the number one, but they threw it to him a lot, and he shot a lot of shots. So in my, in my respect, that's where he stood yes. as the number one, but the outputs weren't always there. And... I hate to say it, but we just saw Quincy Garrier run into better competition. Quincy Garrier ran up against ACC forwards and did not produce. I I don't. I guess we can get sort of moved to this off season, you know, spectacle that we've had in this opening week of the transfer portal mm-hmm. and NBA draft departures. I know Garrier isn't. Re- he kind of got lost in the shuffle of all these transfers. But let's start here. Quincy Garrier is testing the waters of the NBA draft process after what I would call a lackluster ACC conference campaign. Yes, and I wrote about his season, and there were a lot of positives, and you can check that out on orangefizz.net. You know, he took a big leap this year, so you got to give him some credit. As as a freshman, he had the groin injury, 
and that clearly affected him, and he also improved his jump shot. So he was healthy, he had a jump shot, and he came out super confident. But you're right, Ian. I mean, when the game got big, Quincy kind of got small and just didn't have the craftiness anymore to be effective with his straight-line driving, couldn't finish over bigs, couldn't get creative off the bounce. And if you look at how many times he surpassed 15 points— he was at 16.9 points per game after dropping 20 points against Virginia Tech. If you remember that game at the time, it was Syracuse's biggest win of the season. He only passed 15 once after that game. He was averaging 16.9. And he, he dropped 18 against UNC in the Dome. That was it. He never passed 15 besides that. So, yeah, a, a huge a huge drop in production from Quincy Garrier once the competition got better. And the one, th- the one game for Garrier that will stick out for me this season is remember that Boston College game in the Dome where Syracuse only won by eight and it was a lot closer than it really should have been. Syracuse was up big and then BC made a little comeback because they constant the Orange were constantly throwing the ball down in the low post to Garrier in the second half. And it just wasn't effective. It was strange. It, and it, that was his like his spot is that 16, 17-foot corner area where we see Carmelo Anthony get the ball a lot in the NBA. I'm not I'm not going to go full-on make this comparison. I'm just saying they're in the same spot on the floor. Melo has an infinite bag. We all know this. Quincy Garrier has one move, and it's the, you know, as you said, straight-line drive, right-hand hook shot. And... John and I talked about this, John Eads and I, while you were away, uh, over the FizzCast airwaves, the Fizz Radio airwaves, and just in our conversations. Quincy Garrier is not a good rim finisher. It, it seems like he only finished layups when he got an and one, which is really confusing to me. And there's, I don't have a stat to prove that. I'm just completely <laughs> recalling it from memory. But Quincy Garrier was not shooting well at the rim in ACC play. And when your only move is a right-hand hook shot, you need to have some touch from eight feet and in. Yeah, you're right. The, the touch wasn't there. It was a problem. Uh, we'll get into, you know, basically we're going we're gonna to sift through uh, the, the Syracuse roster a little bit. Obviously, Kadari Richmond's departure um, is big news, and we'll get to that after the next break. Uh, but, yeah, I mean— I think what we're both kind of saying is the same thing here, which is that Quincy isn't an NBA player. And if he decides to keep his name in the draft, I don't think he would get drafted. And I think what that would tell you is that Gary would rather play overseas than be at Syracuse right now. Well, the prospects of starting next year for Gary, he could start, but it's going to be an uphill battle. Certainly, whether Braswell leaves or comes back. I mean, last year, Braswell said he was going to transfer, then came back. So, I don't even know what the heck's going to happen there. But Benny Williams has a a claim for a starting spot, and I fully expect him to stake it next year. And Quincy Garrier's 22. And in the NBA draft world, scouts are obsessed, obsessed with age. Thank so, you. <laughs> going, going, and, and it's, it's a weird obsession. It's a really weird obsession, I will say. It's a say. correct obsession, though. Who, who cares if you're a freshman, if you're a sophomore or a junior? The NBA doesn't care about that. The NBA knows that 
Kevin Knox at 17 years old was playing well for Kentucky. You know, so who cares if he's a 19 year old freshman? What? You're gonna, I just can't believe you mentioned out of all the examples we have, you picked Kevin Knox. Well, because he was the youngest player in the in the draft. Okay. I don't know. I guess. I guess. Look, I'm I'm a Knicks fan. I mean, that's probably why it comes to mind. But yeah, what Kevin Knox was 17. I mean, that's really young. Yeah, but it's not. I was expecting you to pull out a quality NBA player when you said it. <laughs> back to back to Garrier though. Just the other reason he would stay in the draft off this age point is that going back to school at you know for at age 22 for your junior year and then having to battle with an incoming freshman. Uh, for starting minutes and maybe not starting a couple games if Marek Dolezal comes back and if Benny Williams proves to be this five-star talent in college, it, minutes are going to have to be sacrificed somewhere. And Jim okay, Bain- I, I, I don't think I'm with you on this. Really? I, I want to give me the breakdown here. So let's say Marek Dolezal played his last game in Orange. It, it seems like if you're reading the tea leaves, I, I think that's a fair assumption at this point, although it's not set in stone. Right, really? Uh, yeah, you think he's coming? Uh, he, I just, okay, I just he, think there is more. I think there is more value for Marek Dolajai in another year in Orange than there is overseas. Okay, but I think Jim Beheim has alluded to the fact that he's not expecting him back. And then if you if you watch Dolajai's body language when when he played against Clemson, for example, at the Dome, uh, taking the game ball back into the locker room on Senior Night, like these are the kinds of things that look. I've been wrong before about these kinds of things, but he, he looked like a player who was playing his last game in the dome. I I agree with you there. Those are, those are very valid points, uh, but do, I don't think Dolezal is an NBA player. And no. at this point there will be money for him overseas whenever he chooses to leave Syracuse and go overseas. And this is a Syracuse team next year that could make a run. We saw it this year. We didn't think they were, they were going to make the tournament. Then they made a run. So why not come back and try for another year of NCAA tournament greatness? Okay. I mean, you just don't know. I think Dolezal is a guy who, uh, you know, basketball does not, Yeah, his life does not revolve around his NBA prospects. It's a non-factor. So if he wants to get a move on with his life and begin his professional career and he ultimately wants to get into coaching, uh, maybe... You know, maybe he just wants to turn the page, but okay. But but you are saying that if Dolajai comes back, Garrier might not have a starting spot. It all depends on Benny Williams and where he's at. It's right, but I I, I agree with you. I think I think Benny Williams is a at, at some point a presumptive starter. But here's the thing with with Garrier that I'll that I want to say. I mean, he developed a lot this year, so. That's the surprising thing to me. Now, you have nothing to lose when you enter your name in the draft. Maybe you get some feedback, and then you can come back to school. So in one respect, that you don't have anything to lose. But in the other, it seems like Garrier is on a path, even though he's old and he's 22, and I'm glad you pointed that out because it's important. He's on a path where he's getting better still, and he's on a good trajectory. It's not like Tyus Battle, who kind of flatlined. To me, Garrier can come back to Syracuse and try to be a better number two sidekick to Buddy Beheim, and he could have a really nice role carved out for him. I, I'm with you, but the prospect of battling for starting minutes with a freshman, it's there's the optics sort of consideration. If a freshman is taking your minutes, if you have several bad games in a row in ACC play, 
and you're getting sat for this freshman, how how are scouts going to look at that? If you if you come back and say you flatline at Syracuse after having a successful sophomore year, how are scouts going to look at that? That is the age thing is certainly a factor. Are do, do NBA teams want to take a chance on a non-dribbling, you know, not really shooting four three four player, you know, combo forward at age twenty four? I mean, at at a certain point, every year you stay in college for Quincy Garrier, your value might steep off a little bit for NBA teams. Yeah, I agree with you. Unfortunately, where I really stand on this. And I hope I'm wrong. I don't think he's ever going to play in the NBA. Again, I, I I hope he proves me wrong. But let's let's go to um, let, let's just end. I mean, do do you think Quincy's coming back? I think Dolajai's gone. It seems like you might disagree just based on his situation. What do you think Quincy does uh, this offseason? It's definitely going to be a two or three month wait and see sort of situation where he needs to get as much feedback as possible and hopefully he can have some like in-person workouts to really garner some evaluations. But depending on the status of Woody Newton this offseason, I, I might think Quincy Garrier heads to the NBA draft and really tries to test his test his prospects and then if he doesn't make it, he'll go through the G League. All right, uh... I'm going to disagree, so I think it's funny. I, I'm going to have Garrier coming back because I just don't think he's going to get great feedback from these NBA teams who are probably going to want to see a lot more out of him. Uh, one guy who, in all likelihood, is not coming back, and it's actually not 100%, it's more like 99%, that Kadari Richmond uh, will not be back, and it's a big blow. We'll get into it on the other side. This is Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Back on Fizz Radio, Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth here. Let's uh, let's get into the devastating, really disastrous news for Syracuse basketball a couple days after the season ended. It is the departure of the six foot five freshman from Brooklyn who showed so much promise and really changed the game for Syracuse whenever he was on the court. I mean, Kadari Richmond was a difference maker. And it's and he's nothing like the transfers that Jim Beheim has lost in recent years. A Howard Washington, a Bryson Goodine, even a Torian Thompson. Kadari is in a completely different league. He is the kind of guy who you do everything in your power to not lose. And unfortunately, I think what's happened here is he felt that he deserved much more playing time and focal point uh, than Joe Girard, uh, which he didn't get. And as a result, Richmond is is looking elsewhere. I mean, I, I to me, Ian, this is a disaster. It felt like the world was imploding. It you know, t- two days into your off season, well, three if we're counting Sunday. I think everybody in Syracuse just t- just took Sunday to decompress and. You know, let let it all go after after the roller coaster of a season that it was. But two two business days into our Syracuse basketball off season, and you lose. Um, I mean, 
John Bolajak, Syracuse fans are okay with losing John Bolajak. It's cool for the hype videos, but other than that, you know, he didn't do much. Robert Braswell, he, I, I, you know, I had my doubts about Braswell. I wrote about it earlier in the year. It'll probably get featured on one of our cold take sections. Uh, but he really showed his, showed his medal at the end of the year. Regardless, though, Syracuse has Woody Newton, who should be able to fill the shoes of Robert Braswell. So, still not much of a loss there. But this was a gut punch. This was an absolute sucker blow for Syracuse. I mean, how do you let this guy go? Your only top 100 recruit on your squad. And he leaves because of playing time concerns. At least that's that's what the whole conversations was. That's what the rumors surrounding it were. I don't know if I buy into the whole Bayheim said he wouldn't start or whatever Bayheim said to him verbatim. I'm not sure if it's true or not. However, the fact that you can't look at the tape and you know if you're Syracuse, co- if the Syracuse coaching staff, you watch these games with your own eyes. You or saw, the analytics. Or the or analytics. the analytics. You watch these games. You check the stats. It clearly, both sides of the ball were clearly affected when Kadari was on the court. And yet you want to give that up. You want to let that go. It, it's so, I don't, you, it's not even nearsighted, farsighted. I don't know what it is. It's misguided. He's special. He's special. I mean, you know, that that's what I have felt all season. Um, I think that he has a chance. You know, we talk about Quincy Garrier and, the fact, you know, that that he may or may not ever get to the NBA, and it's really hard. You know, Elijah's in there. O'Shea is now w- w- just got signed by the Pacers today. He's just keeping you know, his head above water. Brissett's yeah, exactly. barely barely staying afloat. Right. Uh, you know, Battle has had his struggles uh, getting into the league. This is really this is a hard thing to do. Kadari Richmond, to me, he will be a pro. He will he will be in an NBA rotation. Could this- I? I I think that highly of him. Yes, Sam Vecini, like the Athletics NBA draft guy, had his eyes on Kadari Richmond from the like the beginning of this season, like the middle of the year. So he's on NBA draft radars all around the country. Like this, you your your opinion is shared by many people with much more important opinions than ours, and better sourcing. I'll just yes, add. so exactly. So so all season long. We have this Gerard versus Richmond playing time thing, and it eventually got to a point where Richmond was generally playing more minutes than Gerard until this apparent knee injury. But I will say it all fizzles out once Siri. I I wrote this. I at least I I talked about this sometime with John. It all fizzles out once you start winning, right? Winning is the is the cure for all all problems, all evils. Nobody cared whether Joe or Kadari was starting once Syracuse was making the NCAA tournament run. It didn't matter anymore. But it must have mattered to the dude that was sitting on the bench, you know, biding his time to get some more minutes. I think Syracuse completely forgot about this whole debate, and now it's it's reared its ugly head. They also forgot about it, though, I think, because Kadari was at a point where the the minutes splitting, it was... It was pretty even. I mean, I can, I can pull up uh, a Ken Palm to, to figure it out exactly. But you know, it was a, it was a decent split there. But I think Kadari is probably like, look, 
I should be getting 30 minutes a game, not 20. This should not be 50-50. And another thing, Ian, is I think that Richmond wanted to be shooting jump shots. And I think Jim Beheim was uh, giving him a, a red light instead of a green light on that front. It's tough when your coach constantly says, you're not ready to do this. You're not ready to do that. You are you just aren't ready. You're not in condition. You're not in basketball shape. What, whatever the excuse was to hold Kadari back, I don't think he took kindly to it. Beheim was... It, it's tough. If, it must be tough. I don't think the players watch his press conferences, but the media is relaying these things to the public, and the players must get wind of it. And to get constantly beaten down upon by your coach when... I mean, I'm sure his people are telling him, his family's telling him, anybody he talks to is probably telling him, you're changing the game for Syracuse. Because he was. Kadari Richmond was the linchpin for Syracuse. Halfway through ACC play against North Carolina State, in a game that could potentially knock the Orange out of NCAA tournament competition, Syracuse is down, what, double digits. Kadari Richmond comes in and makes a difference. And to not Mm -hmm. recognize that is is above me. It's it's astounding. Yeah. In the last five games, by the way, as I have checked the holy Ken Palm, uh, Joe Girard got 61% of the minutes, Kadari 39%. And again, I think I think there was uh, the, the knee injury was part of that at the end of the year, even though Richmond, he didn't look the same to me, but he still looked, you know, pretty good. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, you can't blame Kadari. You cannot blame Kadari for being upset with with how this year was handled. You know, a lot of a lot of Syracuse fans and and us in the media, we were seeing the same thing that that even though Richmond is getting a good amount of minutes and sometimes more than Joe Girard, he was never treated as the guy. He was never the number one. Girard always got the first chance, the first chance to play well, and only when if if and when Gerard did not play well, that's when Richmond would go to the game, into the game. He was never the number one option. And let's face it, he should have been. And then after, after when the season ends, and this is what I was thinking the, the, to myself the, the entire time, and I said it before the news broke, when Jim Beheim has his meeting with the players, which he does with every single player after the season to say, this is what I thought of your year. This is what I want you to work on in the offseason. With Kadari Richmond, the conversation would have had to be, if you do everything you're supposed to do, if you take care of business, you are in a position to get the keys to this offense next season. That's what he needed to hear. He didn't hear that. Well, from all reports he heard, you might be able to start if Joe Girard doesn't do what he's supposed to do. And even when Joe had his slump of slumps this year, we still heard Joe's making shots in practice. Joe's having good practices. He's just not putting it out there on the court. And if if you're Kadari, you must be incensed by that. Because, you know, there are practice players in every gym in the, and, you know, around the country. But nobody's nobody's showing up on an NCAA basketball court like Kadari Richmond. Right. And I don't even think it's about Joe, though, because I, I, I do think that Joe had a lot of COVID issues that, that held him back this year. I think he's a better player than what he showed this year. It's about Kadari. It's about how 
great Kadari was when he was on the floor. Uh, yes, and Gil, if Kadari goes to Florida State, can we all <laughs> just agree that we will be crushed? And I guarantee you Leonard Hamilton is going to let Richmond run that offense free reign. Yeah. It, I don't th- I think wherever Kadari Richmond goes and whether that's Florida State, Kentucky, West Virginia, I mean, I don't I, I think anywhere his talents will be better utilized w- than they were here in one year on the hill. And I hate to say it, but that's just how it's going to shake out. Yep, I agree. It's it's he's going to be one that he's it'll be tough to watch him elsewhere. That just hasn't been true for recent Syracuse transfers that I said at the top. All right, well, just as they come or just as they go, they will also come when it comes to uh, the transfer portal. Syracuse has already landed another guard. His name is Saimir Torrance. He comes from Marquette, and we'll talk about him on the other side of the break. This is Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Back on Fizz Radio with Ian Unsworth, I'm Gil Gross. We got into Kadari Richmond and some of the things that Syracuse might be looking at roster-wise next season. But let's talk about the transfer portal, who the Orange might be targeting. But first, who they've already targeted, and that's uh, Saimir Torrance from Marquette. He's a Syracuse native. Coming home, uh, what do you think are the the main bullet points for him and, and what he might be able to bring to the squad next season? Well, I saw him in the transfer portal before Richmond announced his de- decision to leave. And even with Richmond still there, I was like, bingo, Torrance is coming back to Syracuse because it's pretty obvious, right? He's a Syracuse guy, goes to Marquette, and you know, after two years and of not playing that much, wants a, new, a fresh start. And Syracuse could have, a four, could have had a four-guard rotation. And honestly, Torrance coming back probably really would have knock Joe Girard's minutes down. But regardless, I'm happy for Torrance because it seems like he's coming to a place where he's comfortable. Uh, he played AAU with Girard and Bayheim on the Albany City Rocks, or Albany City Rocks, excuse me, I'm not a native New Yorker. And uh, <laughs> it seems like this backcourt now is going to be really in sync with each other on the floor. Yeah, well, it's they all they all do come from the same AAU team. Um, I, I don't know who's missing the... Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but yeah, City Rocks, I mean, premier AAU team in central New York. Um, he's a guy who just never really got his chance to shine at Marquette. As a freshman, he was a freshman, just kind of waiting his turn. And then this offseason, a lot of people kind of wrote those preseason articles that basically said like, oh, like this is his time to come in and step into a larger role. And then he started the first couple of games for Marquette and just didn't do enough to really keep that role and then got buried at the end of the bench. So I almost think it's kind of a a wild card play for Syracuse, someone who just hasn't had the freedom or the ability to really show what he has to offer. Well, let's look at these stats because this is why Syracuse fans were really mad, or at least when I initially put out my article, you know, sort of breaking down Torrance's decision to transfer, Syracuse fans were a little incensed because I called him an elite guard. And by the recruiting numbers, he's an elite guard. He was the best player coming out of New York in the class of 2020, and he reclassified to 2019. So keep in mind, guys, Saimir Torrance was rated over Kadari Richmond 
when he was in high school. Wrap your head around that for a second, and now take a deep breath. So, Torrance is the 75th best player in the country, a 97 on the 24-7 sports composite, a four-star recruit by all accounts, right? Very good player. And he goes to Marquette. Marquette, uh, his freshman year, was led by Marcus Howard, who averaged 28 points a game in his senior year, one of the most notorious huckers in college basketball history. Like, this dude ran the offense. Torrance was not going to get any playing time. And he was supposed to be a senior in high school. And then, his sophomore year, Steve Wojciechowski, the Marquette coach, who is now no longer the Marquette coach, brings in DJ Carton in Ohio State transfer to effectively take Torrance's role. So, I'm with you, Gil. He never got a fair shake. So, don't don't go too deep into these numbers of 13 minutes, 2.5 points, an assist and a half. Like, this guy can play. There's a reason he was highly touted coming out of high school, and there's a reason Jim Beheim wants him in the 315. At the very least, he's extremely athletic. Uh, he's going to rebound more than a lot of Syracuse guards. He's going to defend. He Basically, I, I don't want to say like Kadari because he do, just doesn't have that length, and he's just not as he's just not that amazing fit in the 2-3. But he, he will be defensive-minded. He will pride himself in playing good defense. It's the offense that just, you know, it, it hasn't been good enough, but it could get better. Uh, the the effective field goal percentage is really bad. It's 35%. Uh, the turnover percentage, the turnover rate is 25%. You definitely want to be a lot better than that. Offensive rating kind of puts some of those things together, and it's only an 83 you want that around 100 if you can. So, you know, he, he needs to be better. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But this is kind of the point with transfers. This is this is why transfers are transfers. It's because the situation didn't work, and they're looking to turn things around. And Samir Torrance is, is walking into a really good spot here where he can be, you know, getting the minutes off the bench at the guard position and hopefully making the most out of them. So ultimately, I think we're in agreement. It is a good thing. And he won't have to be the main guy. That's the best part of this whole deal. Torrance can still defer to Bayheim and Garrier if he comes back, like you say, and probably still Alan Griffin and throw it to Woody Newton in the corner. There are a lot of different ways that Torrance can get comfortable with the Syracuse offense, if you want to call it that or just sort of iso ball style that Syracuse plays, and you know really work himself into this rotation and find a role. He's not going to have to score. He will not have to score a bajillion points per game. All he has to do is get the ball inside and kick it out. That's what Kadari did, and that's what made him so effective. So if Torrance can do something similar, he'll have a place in the rotation from day one. Who are the other guys in the transfer portal who you want to see Syracuse go after? Well, if Dolajai leaves, then uh, a familiar face, to say the least, from Georgetown, Kudus Wahab, uh, played pretty darn well against Syracuse this year. I, I don't have the numbers up right now, but he is in the transfer portal. I don't really know why, because you know Patrick Ewing loves his bigs. Like, Kudus was getting every thing he wanted at Georgetown, and they made it, they won the Big East Championship, they made a tournament run, and, I mean, it's, he was the feature point of their offense until, you know, 
One of their guards came on at the end of the season, Harris, the very diminutive 5'10 guy who really took over at the point guard spot. But he he was their starting center, and he put up numbers. He was top five in the Big East in both blocks and rebounds. Like, he, he fits the Syracuse profile. You need him. He protects the rim. And also, when was the last time Syracuse had a center where they could kind of throw it down low and just say, hey, do your thing? Well, Hob can do that. Isn't that a great extra option? Yeah, uh, I think I think he is a really good fit. The knock against him is he's immobile and doesn't stretch the floor. But yeah, I I think that's fine. Like this is uh, Marek Dolajai was uh, obviously an exception, and he was you know a forward playing at a position or is depending on if he comes or stays uh, or stays or goes rather. Uh, but yeah, Wahab would be your more traditional Syracuse center, but a lot more stable and a lot stronger down low than Barama Sidibe, who, by the way, could also stay or leave, and we're not really sure about him either, uh, but a lot more stable than him, Sidibe, or a Pascal Chukwu. So Wahab is is definitely um, someone who I think Syracuse fans would love to see. Anyone else? Uh, Cole Swider is another name that's been thrown out there over the past couple of days. Uh uh, he's gotten renewed interest from Syracuse. Uh, and originally, when he was when Swider was out there as a high school recruit, Syracuse was hot on the trail. But he chose Villanova. Had some good seasons with Jay Wright, but I guess he just wanted a bigger role. He's a really good shooter, and that's he would be in that Braswell role. Uh, last two years from the outside, he shot thirty five percent and then forty percent, and he played around twenty minutes a game. So he wants probably that starting forward role. He might not get it if Benny Williams, you know, the whole thing there pans out, but he just wanted more than six points, three rebounds a game. And Syracuse, it, as we said earlier, the the Garrier-Dolajai situation could depend on whether Syracuse gets these transfers or not, or vice versa. You know, if Syracuse has Dolajai going to Europe, Garrier going to the draft, Swider come right in, you have a starting wing group of Swider Griffin or Swider Williams. And then the most obvious name in there is Jimmy Beheim, Jim's other son. And I don't know if coming to Syracuse would be the best play for him if he wants to play, because quite frankly, and I give Jim Beheim more credit than just falling uh, under the the swath of nepotism. I, I don't know that Jimmy could find a spot to play on Syracuse, but that that's another one to to keep track of, I'd say. Uh, I, I I love Jimmy Bayheim. He played really well when he came to the Dome. But if Jimmy Bayheim comes and plays, then your actual recruits are going to have some problems. I, I'm just yeah. going to put that out there right now. Like, people are really going to leave, and Syracuse fans, were, you know, unless Jimmy Bayheim has the season of his life against better competition— Syracuse fans are going to really have some problems with with that transfer bring-in. Yes, I, I would agree with that. One more name I'll throw out, Jabri Abdurrahim, highly touted four-star recruit from Virginia, got injured, didn't play much. New Jersey native, Seton Hall prep. So it's, it's just a familiar little area. And uh, obviously with the ACC, the cross-ACC uh, transfer rule being laxed, that might be another option. I don't know. Yeah. We will the see. Son, the son of Sharif. Honestly, yes. I think he might stay at Virginia just because his freshman season was derailed by injuries. I I don't know. I don't understand why you don't want another chance. 
Yeah, there are just some strange transfers here. I mean, and uh, for Syracuse, we know that Jesse Edwards com is coming back. We pretty much know that Buddy and Joe are coming back. But I don't know, you know, there could be some more dominoes to fall here, right? That's, I mean, that's, that's what Frank Anselm said on Twitter. Yeah, that was weird. He deleted the tweet, but Anselm said that there were more dominoes to fall. Like, I, I don't know. I understand that Alan Griffin just transferred, but to me, that's kind of a possibility that, that Griffin wants to take things elsewhere. And uh, he's the only one that, that really sticks out to me, but there could be some others leaving. Yeah. If, if others do leave, it will, it'll be that wing group Griffin or Newton, I would say. Yeah. But regardless, let's just hope Syracuse can stabilize a roster once we get to June and July, and then we can really, really start to form opinions on next year's team moving forward. There are so many moving pieces. We'll see what the pulse of Fizz Nation is on all this chaos. On the other side of the break, this is Fizz Radio on the score 1260. All right, we end things here as always with Fizz Radio. Gil Gross, Ian Unsworth, you're listening to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. And it is time for Fizz Feedback where uh, we put out our Twitter polls at, at @orangefizz, and uh, you can reply and vote. All right, first one is, what position do you want to see Syracuse add from the transfer portal? Ian, what do you think? Guard, wing, or center? Center. How many years have we been clamoring for a big now? Can we finally get one in the portal? Some things don't change, Ian. 55% of Fizz Nation says they want to see a center come out of the transfer portal. Second Fizz feedback is pretty simple. Is Quincy Garrier coming back? The options are yes, no, he'll be drafted, or no, he'll go undrafted. What do you think? No, he'll go undrafted, and he'll have to make his way through the G League. Maybe he'll end up on the uh, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, my personal favorite. <laughs> that is uh, O'Shea Brissett's former team, uh, the, the Mad Ants. Uh, no, Fizz feedback is on my side on this one. Ah, 67% say, yes, Garrier is coming back. However, only 2.6% say he'll be drafted. The other 30% says, no, he's not coming back, but he's also not going to be drafted. So like like you and I, very little optimism for Quincy Garrier's NBA draft prospects. Third and final Fizz feedback, which Syracuse basketball tragedy had you most upset? Baisley decommits, Kadari transfers, or NCAA sanctions? Really tough one. Gil, I think we got to throw Dior Johnson's decommitment in there as well. Yep. But just because of recency bias, I'm going to say Kadari. However, I think the, uh, the NCAA violations probably garnered a lot a lot of attention as well. You would be correct. Now, you didn't get it right because NCAA sanctions actually ended up winning this poll. So a poor performance by you. For the record book's you. sake. For the record book's sake. Yes. Uh, just not a good performance by you on Fizz Feedback. It's 43, uh, closer to 44% of Fizz Nation says NCAA sanctions was the most crushing Syracuse tragedy. A big blow. But a couple of replies in here as well. Fab Mello being declared ineligible for the tournament in 2011. And Orinze tearing his ACL in the uh, in the Big East tournament was another reply. That'll be it for Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Join us next week, same time, same place.